0: Living Stones is a weekly conversation about living a truly
1: Catholic life. Deacon Harold Burke Sivers and Ken Hellenius help you deepen your relationship with Christ and His Church, discussing practical ways to grow in faith, participate more fully in the liturgy, and practice charity towards all. Hello, and welcome to Living Stones. I'm your co-host, Ken Hellenius, sitting in South Bend, Indiana, and sitting across from me in the virtual studios in Portland, Oregon, is the man who was just announced as the new first chair triangle player in the New York Philharmonic Orchestra, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. Hello, Deacon. (laughs) All that musical training's paying off, I tell you.
0: (laughs) Finally. Me and a triangle, bro. (laughs) Ding, ding, ding.
1: (laughs) You know, the triangle is one of those things that you don't notice it's not there until you really, you only notice it because it's always in the background, right? I can think of very few triangle concertos. That's right. That's right. (laughs) We need to uh, commission one. You know, do you know any composers we could commission a triangle? (laughs) <laughs> uh no not off the top of my head no
0: <laughs> but isn't that usually with um oh what um what do they call that person they play like a, a, a accompanying type of instruments like a snare or uh um oh what do they timpani. call that?
1: no timpani is their own thing symbols uh, yeah it's like um like in a band,
0: sometimes we'll have them. It's not the person, he's, he's playing a bunch of little different instruments, like a maraca or a oh, yeah, tambourine. Yeah. You know, they're, they're just playing I a mean, lot of different instruments for accompaniment.
1: Is it like the hype man from uh, the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones? <laughs> I like, guess that's it. On the side, who was always doing the dancing and then occasionally would play the, you know, the, the maracas or a something.
0: Percussion. Yeah, percussionist. That's oh, it.
1: Percussionist. <laughs> yeah, that's
0: it. Percussionist.
1: I think yeah. you would make a great hype man, by the way. <laughs> you know a guy there on the side of the stage just dancing away to the, <laughs> the i always yeah, thought that imagine, was like, imagine
0: like, if i had that at one of my talks Somebody standing there just <laughs> no i don't think we,
1: so when you <laughs> next time you come to the midwest i'm gonna drive to wherever you are i'm gonna be your hype man i'm gonna be like yeah <laughs> bring it brother bring it home <laughs> when, I, when i'm tired of what you've had to say it's gonna be bring it home deacon <laughs> yeah yeah And as I wrap up my talk for the third time. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Oh, boy. Well, it's good to be with you uh, for this fine conversation. You know, for the last number of weeks, we've been reading together Pope John Paul II's 1995 encyclical on the gospel of life, Evangelium Vitae. And um, last week, we were talking about euthanasia and um, kind of the the situation of where direct killing takes place. And uh, this little section, paragraph, it's paragraphs 64 through 67, really deal with Euthanasia and assisted suicide. And at the time that this was written in 1995, um, assisted suicide was just beginning to roll out in the United States, in Oregon, uh, being the lead uh, state. And now, uh, I think, as I mentioned before, it's it's in about 10 states and jurisdictions in the United States. All of their laws based on the Oregon uh, right to die law, Uh, and all of them. Um, basically, the patient requests um, the drugs from the doctor and has to self-administer them. That's kind of the the mechanism. There's very little reporting or accountability that takes place with the law. There are many flaws in the law that that um, basically leave little known about, um, actual psychological condition of the person uh, or um, whether or not anybody's even present as it happens the physician who prescribes them does not have to be present as a matter of fact most often is not present when the uh, when and if the drugs are eventually taken so this is a um, there's so many flaws and and places for abuse in this but that's kind of the, the situation on the ground in the law but John Paul is calling our attention to what the meaning of what's going on here is and, and how we approach the personhood and the dignity of the people involved. And so that's where we're going to pick up our conversation tonight with paragraph 66.
0: Yes, and we also want to make sure um, that we're including here um, people who take their, their own lives um, who are not necessarily sick or, or, um, who may be asymptomatic or just through mental illness and depression. Yeah. You know, um, again, you know, we, uh, one of my daughter's, uh, classmates from grade school when they got, they got, obviously they went to to two separate high schools, but, um, when he, I think it was his sophomore year, he took his own life. Brilliant young man. He's been to our house, you know, um, you know, and we were friends with his, with his, uh, parents and, um it was it was incredibly incredibly sad and tragic in fact it happened before i was leaving on one of my international trips i ended up delaying it one day um so that i could be home to be with my wife to support her um you know the, through when when that happened and so we want to remember um and, and talk about and talk about you know um uh the, the 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 things that may lessen culpability when it comes to issues of suicide. I think that's important to remember too Go, playing off what you said last
1: time, Ken about approaching these things with mercy and compassion. absolutely I mean so let's let's begin by by saying and just kind of acknowledging the church um teaches that suicide is always as morally objectionable as murder um and that in our tradition, we've always rejected suicide as John Paul says, as a gravely evil choice. Um, It is grave matter. It violates and and it's grave because primarily it violates charity and justice charity in that a person, any person is not an atomized individual, but is part of a community, part of a community that loves that person and that is loved by that person. Um, And when we violate charity, we are basically severing those ties in a way that is irreversible and is, um, and is harmful to not just oneself, but also to each and every person that's touched by that. So I think, you know, your example there deacon of, you know, a young man who was, you know, a classmate and friend of your daughter that his death affected much more than just himself. Infected his family, it affected the school community, it affected families and friends in a wide range. Um, So that's the aspect of charity um, and love that is being, you know, closed and, and taken away and destroyed. The justice aspect is that we are not the ultimate arbiters of life, God is the ultimate arbiter of life, God who creates life and God who then is the one who, as, as it says in the Psalms, who severs the last thread. You know, God is um, our creator, our redeemer, and our sanctifier, um, and God is in charge of life. And so when we make that decision ourselves, we are um, acting unjustly towards God, the creator, Uh, and taking something that is not our um, responsibility or even ability to choose and taking it away from God who has that ability and who has that responsibility.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, we have to take into account, too, that there may be factors um, that mitigate culpability when it comes to suicide. For example, uh, when my mom was alive, she lived— Uh, near my sister, who was a professor um, at the University of Alabama. And um, she was living, my mom was living in an assisted care community across the street from a Catholic church. And um, the church was celebrating because the deacon that was there, his son was going to be ordained a priest. And so his son was ordained a priest. And the way, it's interesting, the way the bishop did it, he actually assigned this young man to the parish where his father was serving as deacon. So his father was serving as deacon for his own son. Wow. He was a priest. And I met him uh, a couple of times. So I went to visit my mom when my, before my mom moved out here with us. And so I met this young man a couple of times. He seemed to be very solid. He said mass beautifully, you know, And um, but he ended up killing himself, you oh. know, committing suicide. And, and unbeknownst to me and, and to any, anyone, maybe except for his dad, he was suffering. With some form of uh, schizophrenia, oh, wow. you know, but but it wasn't over. I mean, you couldn't like talk to him and tell, you know. But you never know. That's the thing. We 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 can't be judgmental of people, right? Because we don't know what's going on I- inside a person's heart or inside their soul, you know. And I was sh- when my mother told me, I was shocked. I'm like, wait a minute, what? You know, because he what he didn't show up for mass. They went looking for him. They found that he had he had killed himself. And um, it was so sad, and and, and so tragic. Uh, and again, but I said, this guy was a priest. Yeah, this yeah. guy was a priest. So you think, oh wait a minute, he's a priest of God. Of course, God's gonna protect him. But,
1: you know, um, yes, yeah, honest, <laughs> he's probably even more assailed by demons and yes. you know the the evil that that surrounds us surrounds us because of course we know that as St. Paul affirms, you know, this is not simply, you know. Powers that we can see, but there are there is a, a battle taking place for souls, and priests are you know the ones that golly holy cats does does Satan really want to damage them because of the effect that that then has on so many people on every life that he touched, in the same way that Satan and his demons want to attack pregnancy and and parenthood at its core because that is when we. Co- co-create and cooperate with God. And so we are most like God in that moment, right? We are working with God to create a, a new unrepeatable human being. So in many ways, what we've been talking about here in Evangelium Vitae is, is cosmic battle, is really what mm. we're talking about. And that's why it's also, at, at its core, why people are so passionate on both sides. Because yeah. people are passionate because they're, they too are ensnared, in a way, with with the the evil one who is wants to lead everyone to be like him. Non serviam. I will not serve. Yeah, that's right. And well, um, as you mentioned, yeah. I mean, there there are psychological, cultural, yeah. social concerns, economic concerns, depression. Um, you know, uh, situations that we we can't know. That, that lessen and uh, mediate the culpability of any individual person. And, you know, it used to be that the church said, well, anyone in the church and even the wider society, even in the United States, it used to be that a person who committed suicide couldn't be buried in a hallowed cemetery. But the church recognizes and, and acknowledges that these situations we don't know the the state of the person's soul in that last moment, as a person is, you know, even somebody who is, say, you know, looks as if they are freely choosing assisted suicide or something like that, as they're swallowing the last pill, they could be having second thoughts and be praying for mercy even in that moment. And the church trusts to the mercy and compassion of the Lord. And we, too, need to need to entrust each and every soul to the compassion of the Lord. And to the people that are surrounded, the people that are left behind, we too need to show mercy and love for those as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And um, you know, and and you talk about people taking sides on this thing too. And you know, uh, it, this is something that shouldn't be politicized, uh, although it has been. I mean, now it, it's it's part of the law, right? It's becoming part of the the fabric uh, of our of our country, and and that's sad. Because these are life and death issues, not politics. So we we, we shouldn't be taking issues like this that are so serious, um, and has so many implications, and um, you know, uh, far-reaching implications, and turn it into a political battle. You know, we're talking about people's lives here, you know, we're, we're we're talking about human beings made in God's image and likeness. Um, you know, we're talking about the dignity of the human person. So yeah. these discussions should be much broader um, then, convenience questions or issues of, you know, um, uh, a person's particular state, because I think that person's suffering too much, therefore their life should end. You know I mean? Tho- right. Those are, yeah, the, we, we, we have a much more serious conversation about all of this as a, as a uh, culture.
1: Well, and in the case of assisted suicide and laws that facilitate that, John Paul points out that Assisted suicide and making that available is itself, quote, a false mercy. It is indeed a disturbing perversion of mercy, end quote. When, when um, physicians and legislators take it upon themselves to decide who lives and dies, what happens is the sense of justice is destroyed. Like we, we, um, we honor doctors, we honor those who heal, but when we are then asking them instead to kill what we are doing is we are breaking that trust. We are destroying the very basis of trust. Of course, one could say that lawmakers never, you know, nobody ever trusts lawmakers. And so it's, there's not a lot to be destroyed there, right? But that's not true. We elect these people because we we want them to make society better and to keep the common good in mind. But when they're working to pass laws that lead to death and make death and the instruments of death available to people. Um, The law is as much a teacher as it is, you know, anything else. And so if something's legal, all of a sudden people begin to think, well, maybe it's not so bad. Yeah. And that's the reality of what's going on. And in order to change these laws, we have to we have to push our legislators we have to push our doctors to be to to refuse to provide this this treatment as well you know i know that even in oregon there're not many that actually do prescribe these uh, assisted suicide pills and they're all affiliated with what used to be the hemlock society now it's called like compassion and choices or something like that they're even again, twisting language to hide what they're actually doing. The same way that abortion providers do as well. By twisting the language, they, they hide the evil that they are up to.
0: No, that's, ex- that's exactly right. Because they have to change reality is what they're doing. So they have to change, they have to redefine what marriage is, what gender is, what death is. What, so they have to change all of that um, uh, in order to fit their narrative. You know, but but what John Paul II helps us to do here, uh, particularly in paragraph 67, he says, the certainty of future Im- immortality and the hope in the promised resurrection cast new light on the mystery of suffering and death and fill the believer with an extraordinary capacity to trust fully in the plan of God. Yes. You see? And that's where this mystery piece comes in, because the the, the, the people say, trust the medication— Trust, you know, trust what we're telling you. We're professionals. We're the, the, you know, instead it's like, wait a minute. What about my trust in God? Which is not as tangible in a sense, you right. know, but we have to trust. That's why we have to trust the teaching of the church when it comes to issues like this. You know, uh, Jesus Christ came, said he founded a church. We know that church is the Catholic church. Um, you, you, we heard John Paul II several times in his document speak authoritatively and definitively you know, from the, from the ordinary universal Episcopal magisterium saying, these are objective truths. And, and we need to, as Catholics, align ourselves with the beauties of these truths, knowing that we are rooting ourselves not only in the human person, but knowing that Jesus Christ conquered death. So that we have to see with eyes beyond the here and now and for the implications that are going to happen after we die. See, and that,
1: that's the beauty of our faith. Yep, it is. That's where the hope lies. And, you know, this John Paul, this paragraph 67, by the way, is one of the best in the entire encyclical. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Um, He says, the request which arises from the human heart in the supreme confrontation with suffering and death, especially when faced with the temptation to give up in utter desperation, this request is above all a request for companionship sympathy and support in the time of trial it is a plea for help to keep on hoping when all human hopes fail we who are accompanying those who are suffering and nearing death we are the ones who provide this companionship sympathy and support we the church members of the body of christ are the ones who are mediating christ to the suffering person in that moment and instead what does American except, you know, expressive individualism offer, but it says, well, you have the right to die. We're going to leave you on your own. You make this decision because you are the one who gets to make it. And again, we're going to just stand back and let you choose what you want. No, no. What that person really wants and needs, even if they're not conscious of it, is companionship, compassion, accompaniment. Do not leave those who are dying, to be alone.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: This is, the, this is the beautiful contrast between the gospel and secular society.
0: Yeah, absolutely right. And, uh, and John Paul, too, literally takes a page out of, out of his own book from his uh, apostolic letter, Savivici Dolores, which we also looked at uh, on the meaning of human suffering. He says suffering can always become a source of good. Okay, so now... Okay, let's be careful. He didn't say suffering is good, (laughs) okay? (laughs) Which goes back to the point you made earlier, okay? Suffering is, is not good, but suffering can be a source of good. It becomes a source of good if it is experienced for love and with love through sharing by God's gracious gift and one's own personal free choice, sharing in the suffering of Christ crucified. That's what we mean when we say, unite your sufferings to the sufferings of Christ. That's what we're talking about.
1: This idea of redemptive suffering uh, for others. You know, St. Paul talks about it, of course, when he says, I am, you know, uh, making up in my flesh what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. Christ suffered and, and Christ's suffering was sufficient for the salvation of the entire world. What Paul is, is offering there and what he's encouraging us to do is to unite ourselves to Christ's cross and in so doing, to obtain even more grace for the world, even now. The graces that we need to overcome sin and death are obtained by those who are closest to the Lord. You know, that super cheesy um footprints thing you know it was when you see only one set of footprints it was then that i was carrying you yeah when we are suffering and uniting our sufferings to christ christ is holding us up christ is holding us up and using us as a means of pouring out grace upon the world upon the church and upon all those who need grace in that moment um it's amazing to meet uh To meet like an elderly person who, you know, uh, I can think of several that I've met at, you know, daily mass who take 25 minutes to get from the car to their pew because they are in pain and they are moving so slowly. And yet they are there uniting their sufferings, literally uniting their sufferings with Christ because they know that what they are doing is good for the world, good for all of us in the body of Christ and the entire creation. Those people are inspiring. It doesn't mean that I don't want them to be out of pain and that I don't want them to have uh, an easier life and hope that we discover, you know, medical cures that can alleviate sciatica or whatever it may be. We want that and we work for that. That's why the church encourages science. That's why the church has hospitals, as I mentioned before, but we also can unite our sufferings with Christ crucified in order to obtain grace for the world. All of us can do that, even if we're not at the point of death.
0: Absolutely right, Ken. And see, and this is what's so beautiful. What makes us the body of Christ. We are all in this together. You know, um, when I was in high school, uh, St. Benedict's Prep in Newark, we had a saying, whatever hurts my brother hurts me. See, whatever hurts my brother hurts me. And because we're all part of the body of Christ, that's why when people are suffering, we can call on our brothers and sisters to pray for us. Yes. How many times have you been sick or ill or someone that you love? Like, for example, when your dad, right? When your dad was ill, you asked for prayers. And I'm sure there were hundreds, about thousands of people praying for your dad, yeah. you know? Um, and, and that's that's what it's all about. We're, we're all in this together as part of the family of God. We, we pray the, the church triumphant, those saints in heaven who, who intercede. So we add our prayers to their prayers and they unite to their prayers to Christ. We pray as a church militant, all of us who are still here on earth working toward that eternal kingdom of heaven. And so, yes, our prayers are efficacious uh, because we are all praying as, as members of God's beautiful family. And so that's also something to remember in time of pain. We are not suffering. We are never suffering alone. Not only can we unite ourselves to Christ's sufferings, through our brothers and sisters, we unite our our pain and our suffering um, is taken up by the entire family of Christ and offered to Christ as a living sacrifice.
1: Well, and that's why we go to Mass. And that's why we participate in the sacraments. And that's why even such things as and I'm going to use a big word here indulgences. That's why they actually work, right? Because the church has this great treasury of graces that have been obtained for the church by the sufferings of our fellow Christians, and by the very gift of God. I mean, all grace is, is gift of God. But the indulgences that we can receive, especially in this year of St. Joseph, you know, we actually can receive indulgences and gifts uh, that are spiritual gifts that we can apply to help alleviate suffering the suffering of people here on earth, the suffering of those who've died and are in purgatory, we can obtain these these free gifts of God. And so, as I regularly try to do here on Living Stones, I want to encourage you to avail yourself of the sacraments. And especially if you are one who is suffering, uh, please avail yourself of the sacrament of the anointing of the sick. The sacrament of the anointing of the sick is has thousands of thousands of graces that are associated with it most especially the healing of your soul and that's the most important healing that needs to take place and we pray in that sacrament we pray of course for physical healing but the primary healing is the repair of your relationship with christ and with the church and so avail yourself of the sacraments these are what make us and constitute us as the people of God.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so, Ken, uh, sad to say, we are we are out of time once more. You know, the 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 triangle is singing, uh, right? So,
1: <laughs> ding, ding, <laughs> ding, ding, ding. So, how can people stay in touch with us till next time? You'll find us on Facebook at Living Stones Media. We've got a little group there. We put the occasional post, some links and things like that, that you can grow in your understanding of what we've been chatting about. And uh, you can also download all the previous episodes of the show at MaterDeiRadio.com. But Deacon, until we gather next week, might we uh, have a blessing?
0: Sure, man. Almighty God bless you and keep you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
1: Amen. We'll see you next week here on Living Stones.
0: You've been listening to Living Stones with Ken Hellenius and Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. Living Stones is produced at the studios of Modern Day Radio in Portland, Oregon. For more information about this show, go to moderndayradio.com. That's M A T E R D E I radio.com.